0: In here and we all know it. hi everybody i'm peter jacobson and welcome to jake's takes yeah, 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 yeah. we're four weeks in to the restart of the 2020 pga tour season and it's been pretty interesting some really good golf no fans as you know but some really good golf, especially by Bryson DeChambeau. Interesting to watch and to learn more about Bryson and what he's done to his body. He's gained all that weight and gained all that distance off the tee. It's incredible the distance that he's hitting his tee ball. I think we've all been talking about technology and how it's changed the game and how it helps you hit it further, which is true. And we also talk about the Athletic ability of players like Tiger and Rory, and Dustin Johnson, and how they've changed their body. Well, nobody has changed their body like Bryson DeChambeau. Gained 40 pounds, and his ball speed and his distance off the tee is is incredible. I just I'm just blown away with the changes that he's made, and he's been he hasn't been outside the top 10 I think in these last four weeks. Had the win this past weekend at the Rocket Mortgage Classic up in Detroit. Had an odd interaction with a cameraman, which I think someday he may come to regret his comments. He hit a bad shot. He banged his club or, I don't know, maybe dropped a four-letter word, whatever it was. But that's okay. Goes to show you how how much it means to you. And he made the comment about, "Eh, I don't like the camera in my face. It might hurt my image if I say something that my sponsors don't like. Hey, it hasn't hurt Tiger Woods or any player in the history of the game. If the cameras on you, it's on you for a reason. You're either leading or you are television or you're exciting or you're interesting. So, Bryson, don't worry about that kind of stuff. Just keep playing the way you play and keep winning. It's been it's been exciting. I'm happy to be joined this week on the podcast by Ron Green Jr. Who is a senior writer with global golf post he's been covering golf forever he's a great guy interesting to talk to so we're going to cover a bunch of topics but good for bryson he's gone from being someone who everyone talked about being so slow they don't talk about that anymore they talk about how far he's hitting it by how many birdies and eagles he's making and what an impressive run that he's on it's a jungle in we all know it, the fans are fired up and making sure they show it. The loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here. Jungle in here. And we all know it. You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee, I hit a lot of fairways, but I always know that my first drive of the day is gonna be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style, because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. So happy now to be joined by Ron Green, Jr., senior writer for Global Golf Post, who has covered golf for, gosh, probably as long as I've been playing golf on the PGA Tour. And you have, Ron, you've seen and heard and read and written about just about uh, all that we can remember about the game of golf. Let Let me start off and ask you about the rumblings that we're hearing with the Ryder Cup and the possible postponement until... 2001 this is a poorly held secret for the last what two months uh what is it that you're hearing
1: yeah just sort of waiting for the official announcement i don't think it's
0: news that anybody
1: wants but i think it's news we all sort of expect now given just all that's happened in our world here the last three or four months and particularly with golf and sports and it's one thing for the PGA Tour to resume and play these tournaments with no spectators, but the Ryder Cup is a different creature. And it, it's you have to have fans to make the Ryder Cup what it can be and what it should be. It's, not to quote myself, but I'll quote myself. I said, playing the Ryder Cup without fans would be like having Springsteen read you the lyrics instead of singing.
0: You know,
1: <laughs> That's be, pretty good. It'd still be special, but it wouldn't be the same thing. You know what I mean? And uh, so if it means pushing it back a year to get it where they want it, where it should be, uh, you know, it's just one more sort of disappointment in the year that's been full of a lot of those, I'd say.
0: Having been at a bunch of Ryder Cups, not only playing, but covering them for NBC, it is, it's actual theater walking around the facility, the golf course, wherever it is, just looking at people, just people watching, whether you're pulling for Europe or you're pulling for the United States, to see the passion and the people that come out in support of their team is really a show in itself. I, I, I'm sure you've got some crazy experiences as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's in some ways it's a golf festival. I think it's uh, there's just if you're a spectator and whatever I don't know what the number is forty five fifty thousand people they get on site per day. The reality is it might be the worst spectator experience you could have because there's only about four groups out there and trying to see much is really, really hard unless you're in one of the hospitality areas. But being there is just a feeling that you get and you, you hear the songs echoing across you know, I can remember walking out uh I don't know, maybe it was Glen Eagles or whatever one night and you could after the thing was over in Europe and Europe had won and it's dark and Cold, and you're going to the bus, and you hear in the distance. You hear them still singing "Ole Ole Ole." <laughs> you hear that all the time during the day, or you see the people at the first tee. I mean, the the first tee scene in Paris was just extraordinary. I mean, it was it looked like a football stadium packed around there, and the way they had the players come in on the bridge and walk down there, and the music playing. You know, in some ways, it's for all the things that are traditional about golf, the Ryder Cup breaks with that tradition, with the music and all that sort of staging, but it's just part of it. I mean, granted, you go back eighty nine, ninety one, 89, 91, things like that, it wasn't staged the same way, but that's where the, the pure passion just exploded. And
0: it just, there's been nothing like it for those, whatever, 30 or 40 years. Well, you mentioned Springsteen earlier. I liken it to an outdoor rock concert. You really can't get close enough to the stage to see anything, Sometimes you're in a bad position with the speakers to where you really can't hear the music that that well. But the energy in the atmosphere, the energy in the air, really makes it a place to be. And and I think back to what you just mentioned about Paris. I was there with NBC, and it was a it was almost set up like a like a U.S. Open used to be set up. Really narrow fairways, thick grass, uh, thick rough, and the golf course. It, it was it was so enclosed. Everything was in a small little shoebox, so you could actually feel the eruptions and the explosions and the and the roars. You could feel that, and to me, that is really what the Ryder Cup is all about—the emotion and the passion and the electricity in the air. So I'm with you. I think if they do end up postponing this year's Ryder Cup, I I think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I think so too. It, it... If I can, if you'll indulge me, one more Springsteen reference. It's like I've heard him talk about what it is that happens when he plays shows with the band. And he goes, you know, we come together and the people come together and we make something almost out of nothing. There was nothing there. And for that three hours, they create something that, you know, is never going to be quite the same again, but it's there and it's alive and it's sort of electric. And that's what the Ryder Cup is. And that's what it, uh, more than any other golf tournament. Now granted, Sunday afternoon at Augusta has its own vibe to it and, you know, and then the sort of the, the teeth gnashing and the, the grimacing and all you see at the end of the U.S. Open, that's something else. But the Ryder Cup, I mean, it's just, uh, that's why we talk about it for, you know, the two years they're not playing it. It used to be, it just stayed on a low boil in Europe from the time it ended until the time they played again and not so much here, but that's changed here now too. That it's I remember walking in Paris on a practice round and by chance Tim Fincham was walking with us and walking down the fairway and he goes, Man, this is just the best event in golf, isn't it? And I thought, well there's the man who created the President's Cup saying that
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well I do think it's the best I think it's the best event in sports. And and let me just say you can make all the Springsteen references and musical references you want on the podcast because you know how much I love music so let me let me talk with you a little bit about the three majors that are coming up we have had the restart to the 2020 season and we've had we've had four events now in the books no fans but we've seen some great golf as we head into a a Muirfield Village double with the Workday event uh this week and then the uh, gosh, I'm blank on what the what the is it Nationwide? What, what's yeah, the event? It's a it memorial. Says the Memorial. Is that sponsored by Nationwide now? I can't yeah,
1: remember. I think it's the Memorial sponsored by Nationwide. I think. Is okay.
0: It is. Well, then coming up soon is the PGA Championship uh, at Harding Park, followed by the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and then the Masters. Now, are you expecting anything out of the ordinary? Obviously, it's at a completely different time of year. Golf courses are going to play differently, but I don't know. Are we are we expecting fans? No fans. What what are you hearing in the uh, uh, in the golf world?
1: Well, I mean, they just announced no fans at the Memorial next week. When they were hoping to have about eight thousand a day there, and they were going to be able to sort of keep them circulating so they didn't congregate, but they just uh, pulled that off the table and said they're going to go with no spectators next week, which was not a huge surprise. Sort of the sense of the momentum of the, where we are in the country right now. But, you know, I mean, I think the PGA in some ways, it's like, it used to be that here we are playing the PGA late summer, you know, I guess in August, like it wasn't yep. until the years ago, but just feels totally different in some ways, because it was, I was at Harding park earlier this spring for a little media thing. And, you know, they were, they hadn't built anything out, but you know, you had the feeling, okay, we're going to be back here soon. And now it's later rather than sooner. And, I don't know, you know, there's not going to be fans there. I think it's, I know having been involved in some discussions with the officials of the PGA of America, there's only going to be about 15 to 20 media on site as composed, as compared to, you know, three, four, five hundred normally. It is a very small select group. Uh, you know, you won't be able to go out and mingle with the players and talk to them. Uh, when you go to these events from our perspective now, we sit in a room and the players sit in another room, and we ask questions on our computers. You know, sort of FaceTiming them, and then occasionally you get a little bit of uh, one old, or small group setting outside, socially distanced. But it's it's a very strange dynamic, and I I don't know. Watching these early tournaments, once the, you sort of get into the uh, the back nine on Sunday, it feels like a golf tournament. And, you know, you you get you focus purely on that because there's nothing else to focus on. There's no people there're no people yelling but it's going to be strange for a major that way uh yeah I don't know I, my guess is they won't have any fans at, at Wingfoot I haven't heard that one way or the other defensively and then of course now Augusta has till November you know who knows what we're going to see I would love to think we'll have some fans down there but just the whole notion of a Masters in November that is just that's a different thought there you've been here before.
0: Don't let them I'm a sports nut and if you're anything like me the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports but mondays are for golf once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world i know i'll find what i need on global golf post it comes to my email every monday morning delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. And it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to GlobalGolfPost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating and with global golf post plus there's no advertising use the promo code jake's takes when you sign up to receive 30 percent off your monthly subscription to global golf post plus so remember globalgolfpost.com it's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf it's a jungle in here and we all know it. The- Let me ask you also, do you think with these four tournaments now in the books with no fans, how do you think things have gone so far in these events? Do you have any concerns?
1: Not really. I think uh, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about the positive test or the players who have been around somebody who's tested positive and withdrawn uh, this precautionary measures. I think, to a large extent, what the tour put in place—the protocols, the testing, and all the whole sort of bubble plan they put together—I think what the what it's done is it's worked. I think there was they were never under any illusions about having no positive tests. I mean, they knew somebody time to time they're going to have those pop up. I uh, wanted to keep them to a minimum and limit the exposure. And, and I think they have continued to react and refine and adjust their their plan and their protocol. I give Jay Monahan huge credit for what he's put together they have not been afraid to look at it and and tweak it where they needed to and make the necessary changes they're trying you know golf is a little easier to do just by the very nature of it than obviously say football so I think they've done a really really good job of that now if suddenly you get a week where seven or eight people test positive then we'll see what the reaction would be then you hear there's a number if you got this many tests one week maybe they would cancel the tournament. I I don't know A, if that's true, and B, what that number would be. But uh, the other thing that struck me is just, I mean, if you're not shooting 20 under par, you were... Oh, isn't it crazy? It's not It's crazy. I mean, and Bryson DeChambeau is is sort of the perfect personification of how golf is being played right now. The numbers they're shooting are eye-popping, and then, of course, what he's doing and the way he hits the ball is... I mean, it's very reminiscent of how
0: you played. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'd hit uh a, a driver's <laughs> <Right-handed>. 8 iron. <laughs> Go right up right up to his drives. <laughs> yeah. What do well, you mean driver
1: 8 iron on a five hundred and eighty yard par five?
0: Oh I know. It's it's nice. I think Bryson DeChambeau, Ron, is the story so far of twenty twenty. Let's take the coronavirus and the shutdown and the majors being postponed till later this year. Let's take that out of the equation, but what – The change Bryson has gone through, he's gone from being a chronically slow player who was criticized by not only the media but the other players and the fans, who's now reshaped his body. He's still the mad scientist that we all know and love. He, He dives into all the statistics and the principles of the game. But the way that he's driving the golf ball now, averaging between 320 and 350 off of every tee, the physical change that he's gone through is I think that's the story of this year because we all talk about technology and how the golf ball and the, the composite shafts and heads and track man launch monitors have changed the game. But how about the physicality of a player like Bryson DeChambeau who's committed himself to changing his body, much like Tiger and DJ and Rory McElroy. I think he's the story of 2020 so far. I agree with you. I think
1: it's he's fascinating. I, he's captivating. Uh, I, I don't know if people have warmed up to him entirely. I think they find him sort of a curiosity. But what he's done is just potentially transformative. I don't know how many people are going to put on that kind of weight and commit to it the way he has. But for all we've talked about through the years, about what equipment and shafts and the ball have done in terms of hitting it longer and longer and, making courses feel shorter and shorter. Maybe we've still underestimated the athleticism element of this, and he has taken it to an extreme and just proving, look, I can add the muscle and add the speed. And obviously every mile per hour a clubhead speed averages, you know, what, two and a half yards or whatever. And he's taken it to, I don't know if it's the final frontier, but way out there and, as he said after he won, he said, I think it will take a while for this to evolve, but maybe he's he's one of those game changers. Maybe, maybe we just, I don't, know, I don't know if you say surrender, but say, all right, this is the way you can play in the future. Just have at it. I mean, the statistics bear out. If you can hit it far enough, it's not as important whether you're in the fairway or not.
0: It's a totally different game than when I played or when I played in the Jack Nicklaus uh, at the end of the Arnold Palmer Jack Nicklaus era, and then I played well, obviously with Faldo and Azinger and Norman and couples. But now, what we're seeing, Ron, is a game I'm just not I'm just not familiar with. And when I do broadcasts for for NBC and Golf Channel, I used to be amazed at the yardage with which these guys hit it off the tee. But I I've stopped being amazed anymore because when you watch Rory or DJ or 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 Bryson. A three hundred twenty five or even a three hundred and seventy five yard drive now is commonplace. So I've had to change my thinking, although this last weekend I was I was on a track man and I was nowhere near uh their their carry yardage with my run out yardage. Now granted I'm I'm sixty six years old and I it's easy for me to gain 40, 40, forty pounds. All I have to do is be shut down eating sourdough bread for a month. But uh the one thing that you said earlier about about Bryson, people warming up to Bryson, and I think that's an accurate statement simply because I, I was – I think we all were, were schooled at the feet of Arnold Palmer and the way that he interacted with people on and off the golf course. And I, I think the one thing I, – I know Bryson very well, and I'm sure you do too. He's a wonderful, passionate, uh, complete guy. I, I love him. I think he's a great example – of a PGA Tour player. However, what happened to him at the Rocket Mortgage Classic up in Detroit, when he got into that interaction with the cameraman and he was complaining about his image and the camera guy was in his face, you never would have heard Arnold Palmer complain like that because Arnold knows that's a part of the game. And he was talking about his image and his brand and all that. I I just, I, I think he was wrong. And I think in time when he probably looks back and thinks about it. I think he probably would admit that he's wrong as well. Now, you do Arnold as well as anybody. I I don't think we would ever see Arnold complain about something like that.
1: No, not a bit.
0: And I, I think
1: as time goes by, I think Bryson will lament what he said and how he handled that. In the heat of the moment, he just hit a lousy shot and and he's been basking in this glow of all this attention that's come his way, particularly since the restart. And he's been out, been sort of the dominant personality. And it's sort of ironic. Here's a guy who just posted not long ago, a 15 minute sort of vanity video about himself, complaining about the camera being on him all the time. It's like you can't have it both ways. Tiger Woods, if anybody ever wanted to complain about the camera, never leaving him. I mean, I don't recall Tiger uh, really doing that. I mean, lebron thinking about tom brady i mean every move they make it's documented when they're on the sidelines and all that It just it comes with the territory i mean bill mickelson another one and and i just think that was a moment of just a little frustration and i think he probably ultimately will regret it Uh, he is obviously thinks a lot about branding and he's worked hard there i mean when he when he won and was doing his post-tournament interview on television, I mean, have, as somebody who's cover, who covered NASCAR for years when I worked at the newspaper in Charlotte, I know what those NASCAR guys were like when they would run down thanking every sponsor before they got around to talking about the race. Bryson gave sort of a NASCAR interview there, I mean, thanking Cobra and this and that, and then got around to how he played. And so, you know, he's, he's very modern and very uh, sort of state-of-the-art in that regard. And uh, I uh just some seasoning. I think he's, you know, he's a guy, I remember standing there, where was it? Liberty National last year. I think that was the, the height of the slow play thing. And he had been really ripped the day before. So he finished early, whatever, it was a Friday or a Saturday, and he practically bound up on the stage, the podium, to talk to the media. All right, guys, let's talk about slow play. <laughs> you know, brought it on and, you know, like, come on, you know, I should take, I'd love to take you guys out to dinner and explain this whole thing, you know, and had his whole case made and everything. So it, for those of us in the writing business or whether the television world, whatever, you want characters like that. I mean, he's, he's, he's his people talking about it. And, you know, if they're not talking about anybody, they're not paying that much attention, but he makes us pay attention. Now, do I love the way golf is that you can stand there and hit it 367 off the tee and just flip a wedge into every green? I don't know that it makes the game that the games better than it was like when you were in your younger years playing and it felt like there were more shot shapes hit and you couldn't just totally overpower the golf course, but that's probably a discussion for another time. Well,
0: you make a good point. It is a different game, but I think about players over my career that have had cameras in their face. I think about Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Greg Norman. When Norman was number one in the world, you saw every shot that they possibly could show. Tom Watson, and most notably, you mentioned him, Tiger Woods. I think that Tiger has been such a great example for these young players today with the grace and the the way that he handles himself. Now, does he get upset? Does he drop some F-bombs and some bad words that, we don't want to hear. Yeah, but I think we all do that in our weak moments, but all that does is just goes to show you the depth of your passion while you play, and it means so much to a player to win a golf tournament. It's hard to win, and especially a major, and so I I think if Bryson will, I think he will think about that and go, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that, and I should relish the fact that the camera is in my face for for every one of my shots, that means that I have arrived and it's good for my image and good for my brand and it's good for the sponsors that are on my shirt and my hat because that's why they pay you they I've learned in my days that sponsors pay you for two things they pay you for exposure on t v and they pay you for interaction and the likability with your with your with their fans and their consumers and and that's why some of these mega superstars that perform on and off the golf course make the money and, and grab the attention that they do because they are that way. They satisfy both sides of that coin. And it does take a while to learn that, But I, and I definitely believe Bryson's going to figure this out. How about the stat that he led last week in strokes gained driving and strokes gained putting? Now, I don't, I don't think anybody's ever done that, Ron, but that's an unbeatable combination if he were to do that consistently.
1: For sure. I mean,
0: that's –
1: I mean, I don't have – I'm not very good with math, but I know when – I can figure out when you're first and and hit it off the tee and first and get it in the (laughs) hole, you know, that doesn't add up to too many. And uh, that's (laughs) sort of the way you want it. And I just want to go back to one more thing about Bryson and his reaction the other day. I think most people who watch golf obviously play golf, or if they don't play, they've played some in their past. They understand the game. And if you've ever played nine holes of golf, do you know how frustrating the game is, even at the highest level? And I think people, they they understand if guy wants to bury the club once in a while, it may not be the nicest thing to see, but it's just part of it. And sometimes the frustration is there. And I think people give you plenty of room with that. I mean, not not if you're doing it eight times around, but every once in a while if you just got to blow some steam off. And I think Bryson will come to understand that too, but – we're going back to the, the the driving and the putting, I mean, I think he's a better putter than we realize. Maybe his wedges are not that great, but if that's all he's going to be hitting into par fours, and maybe some par fives in the future, he's going to get plenty of work on those, and they're going to get even better. You know, I think when we get to the big, hard, longer courses, which we haven't had that many of yet, I think his advantage may be accentuated.
0: Uh, uh, speaking as a guy who spent 40, almost 44 years in the game, Working, changing, trying to improve like we all do, I, I admire Bryson for the work and the analysis and the and, and the, the deep dive that he's done to change not only his golf swing, his body clearly, but his putting and the way that he approaches it, I think it's refreshing, and it proves to us that if you're a short hitter, you can hit it longer with the help of technology and uh, the physicality, you can get into the gym, get stronger, get more flexible, and you can swing You swing a lot harder, although nowadays, I try to swing hard, and it's the same speed as how I swing when I'm trying to hit a soft shot, so at 66, I don't think there's any hope for me, so I'm just going uh, <laughs> to well, live vicariously through Bryson DeChambeau.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, and you obviously could speak to this very well, but... So much of golf is trust and faith and conviction in what you're doing, and you can just see the conviction oozing out of Bryson and what he's doing and how he's
0: doing it, and I mean, that's invaluable. I think where failure comes in, and again, I'm speaking as a player, is as you just mentioned, when you commit to uh, process A, and it works for, you know, there's a 30- there's a or 60-day guarantee on everything new, whether it's a driver putter or a new swing. But then, after that, that guarantee or that that process starts to fade. Do you stick with it, or do you dive into the next process? And I think that's that's where a lot of players fail when they don't stick with what they're what they're trying. And next thing you know, you're working with eight pros, twelve pros, fifteen pros in a career of say twenty years. I think that's a recipe for disaster. So what Bryson's doing. Uh, I, I I give him all the credit in the world, and uh, as I said, I think he's the story of 2020 so far.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, and you're right. I mean, we can sit here and think through our heads of players who've gotten to number one or two or three in the world and then decided to change something. I'm like, well, you're, you're better than everybody else in the world. Why are you going to change something? Wouldn't you just keep doing what you're doing? But I don't know. Maybe that's – it's a weird game in a lot of ways, so – uh And I think in Bryson's case, and he said this, the weight he's added, he doesn't know if he's going to carry that forward for five or ten years or if this is something after a little while like, okay, maybe I've made my point or maybe I want to taper down a little bit. And we saw Tiger get really big and we saw Rory get big and then they sort of tapered it back down. I think it's too soon to know if Bryson's going to stay at this weight or get even bigger. I mean, I know he's talked about there's more to gain, but – you know, I think I think he'll have us tuned in for a while.
0: So here's another conversation for or a conversation for another time. What we just pointed out: Jack Nicholas stayed and worked with Jack Groud his entire career, and he was the best in the game. Or one A: Tiger Woods, who would people consider one B, he went through five or six different coaches from Butch Harmon to John Foley to Hank Haney. Interesting contrast between Jack, one teacher, and Tiger, five or six teachers. And I just think the show goes to show the talent of both of those guys. They could basically stick with
1: whatever they were
0: working with at the time, or in Jack's case, Jack Kraut. I, I just think that it uh, just goes to show you that when you got talent, uh, it, it's, it's hard to keep that down. Ron, thanks so much yep. for joining us. And uh, I appreciate your time, and I'll let you go. Well, Peter, I really enjoyed it. Thanks
1: for having me. It's been great fun talking with you.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?